Ninja. Hi everyone and welcome to Geography Ninja and in this podcast I wanted to explore the idea of the carbon cycle um, because it's really important actually. Um, we need to know about this really to have any sense of understanding how climate change works and just the fact it's one of the, the major cycles, physical cycles, uh, that geographers need to know about on the planet. So let's just start off, off with a few facts. So carbon um, is actually the fourth most abundant element in the universe. Did you know that? Did you also know that it is found in all of us? You know, we're all made of carbon. In fact, it's in every living organism. And you find carbon in things as, as different as plastic, uh, limestone, rock, wood and diamonds. How about that? So it's, I think we need to know a little bit more about the carbon cycle. So here we go. All right then, well, so with any sort of physical cycle, it's all about moving materials or you know elements, in this case, around the planet. So whether it's moving through the atmosphere or the biosphere or the, uh, the oceans or the lithosphere, you know, it's all about movement and storage. So, um, the, well, we'll come back to that in a second. The other thing we need to know about the carbon cycle is it's, it's normally divided into two components. So we can talk about the biological and the geological carbon cycle. If you think about the geological, so this is where carbon gets trapped in rock, sedimentary rock layers trap carbon over millions of years. Um, that's a really long time scale. So, you know, carbon can be locked away for, well, potentially hundreds of millions, if not billions of years. And actually the biggest, single biggest carbon store is the sedimentary rock um, layer, or what, you know, as geologists or geographers we might refer to as the lithosphere. Um, fossil fuels would form part of that lithosphere, so oil and coal and so on. They're all part of the geological time scale, um, locked away for, for a, a long time. The other part of the carbon cycle is much faster in comparison. So when we talk about the biological carbon, carbon cycle, well, that's operating more on a, on a time scale of days, weeks, months, up to maybe, you know, hundreds or thousands of years, certainly not into the, the millions of years. Um, okay, so well, let's start off with our geological carbon cycle. Okay, now geological timescales are really long, as I'm sure you are aware. So, um, well, if we're thinking about carbon um, as an element, we might want to refer to the Carboniferous um, period, which dates back around 300 million years ago. And this is where the huge numbers of trees, particularly um, you know, very large trees and lots of plant material, has over time um, been sort of compacted. It's been, been changed under heat and, and pressure. And it's, it's eventually, it's turned into things like coal. Um, so coal, you know, in the Industrial Revolution, coal is our first and foremost fossil fuel that we use. And it's actually fossilised carbon, isn't it? When we burn something like coal, we're releasing 
um, uh, carbon dioxide, CO2, back into the atmosphere. But if humans hadn't intervened, that would all be locked away neatly in the, the Earth's crust. Forged in the heart of aging stars, carbon is the fourth most abundant element in the universe. Mm, well, so there's quite a bit of carbon floating around in the atmosphere, but there's even more below our feet. And um, the way that we measure carbon is in petagrams. We use, we use a system called petagrams. Now, petagrams are also known as gigatons. Um, and a gigaton is, well, it's actually, it's equivalent to one billion tonnes. So we are, we're talking about big amounts, but then we are looking at a planetary scale of, you know, an element or how much of it is there. Now, if we're thinking about how much carbon is in the atmosphere, we often refer to it in terms of parts per million. And um, the last time I looked, which was a few days ago, it was around the 415 parts per million. That's just in the atmosphere. Now, most climate scientists agree that, you know, anything really over 350 parts per million is too much in the atmosphere. Um, the atmosphere actually contains, according to my data, 589 petagrams of carbon. Um, the atmosphere is known is a store of carbon. So some of that gets transferred. You get carbon that's transferred from the atmosphere into the oceans and some of it gets transferred into the, you know, plants and trees and things that are on the, on the landscape. Um, we're thinking, first of all, about the, the geological carbon cycle. Now, this actually contains the most carbon um, of anywhere on the planet, any particular carbon store. You know, a store is where carbon is just is stored for any, any length of time. Um, and in the... Um, in the lithosphere, the rock layer, the geology of the planet, this is where carbon has been allowed to build up over time. So if we're thinking about the, the sedimentary rock store, uh, it's actually the huge amount of carbon, 83 million petagrams of carbon stored in the sedimentary rock layer. And then we can add to that other things like well, the fossil fuel carbon store, something just under 1500 petagrams of carbon. So, you know, even that is far, it's, you know, three times more than the carbon that's in the atmosphere. You've also got carbon stored in the soil um, and in the permafrost. This is all really part of the, the carbon that's below our feet and in some way eventually all becomes part of the, the geological carbon cycle. Now, we've already said this operates on a really slow time scale so you know potentially hundreds and hundreds of millions of years um coal and oil you know well most of that went down in the carboniferous period around 300 million years ago um but the question's got to be well how does that carbon get in to the rock layer in the first place all right then well so most carbon finds its way into the lithosphere through the oceans so something like about 80 percent of our um, of the process by which carbon transfers um, into the lithosphere would happen through the ocean route and um, well 
the ways that this would happen, it's really that um, this is where biology comes in because, you know, within the oceans, there are lots of photosynthesizing organisms. So known as phytoplankton. Uh, phyto meaning that they're, they're using light, sunlight, um, as part of their, their growth process. So you've got these tiny organisms, phytoplankton, in the ocean, in the top layers of the ocean, they're absorbing CO2 from the atmosphere. Now they're only going to live for a few days and they're either, so they're either going to just die and float down to the, uh, the, 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 the floor of the ocean or they're going to be eaten by bigger organisms. So remember, I think as Woody Allen once said, nature is just like one big restaurant, you know, everything is eating everything else. So you've got these phytoplankton, they're being eaten by bigger organisms, but when those organisms die, they're going to fall to the seafloor as well. Now all of these things then are containing carbon that's being absorbed initially from the atmosphere by photosynthesis. Um, over time, these sediments are building up. So on the seabed, the sediments are building up. Over time, as the amount of this sediment material is, is accumulating under pressure, under heat, you're going to get different sort of physical and chemical reactions going on. There's actually a process that I think geologists refer to as diagenesis, which is the process by which sediment turns into sedimentary rock. And we might be talking, you know, of millions and millions of years for this process to actually happen. But eventually, all of that carbon is going to get locked away in the sedimentary rock layer. And it's clearly it's accumulated over a really long period, period of time. Now, the other main route that carbon is going to find its way in is through um, organisms that have shells, shells made of calcium carbonate. Now this is, you know, so if you think of any sea creature with shell, you know, mollusk um, type organisms, well they've, they've actually absorbed that um, carbon um, along with calcium and that's how they're going to build their shells. Now again over time as those organisms die that material finds its way to the seabed, becomes compacted. I mean, ultimately, it's going to turn into stuff like um, limestone rock. Um, now, the other element is that CO2, carbon dioxide, can be uh, dissolved in water. So the more CO2 there is in the atmosphere, so with a, a global warming type scenario, you know, increasing greenhouse gases being pumped out by human activity, it's going into the atmosphere. Well, the more in the atmosphere there is, the more is going to get absorbed into the ocean. Um, one um, implication of that is that ocean water is becoming more acidic. So carbon dioxide being absorbed into seawater um, results in a weak form of acid, a weak form of carbonic acid. So the more carbon there is in the atmosphere, the more acidic uh, seawater becomes. Now that does ha that has problems for things like marine organisms, particularly those that need to create um, shells through calcium carbonate. But anyway, well that's how carbon is finding its way into the ocean and forming things like sedimentary rock, like limestone and so on, or forming things like um, uh, fossil fuels, like crude oil.
Geography Ninja. Now, some of that carbon that is stored in the lithosphere, in like the sedimentary rock and so on in the Earth's crust, some of it is going to be returned to the atmosphere. And some of this, a small proportion of this, happens through natural processes such as volcanic eruptions. In fact, we're looking at something in the region of uh, 0.1 petagrams of carbon per year. Now, that's, that's, um, that's what they, they call a flux, so a movement of carbon from one store to another, 0.1 petagrams of carbon per year. Now, compare that to the 7.8 petagrams of carbon a year that comes from humans using fossil fuels and cement. Um, far bigger. So volcanic eruptions, yes, they are a source of carbon returning to the atmosphere, but in the scheme of things and compared to you know human uh, production of carbon dioxide uh, is relatively low so where you've got um, uh, you know different tectonic plates moving particularly where you've got um, a destructive plate margin in other words where you've got one tectonic plate and it's been um, sliding underneath another one it's been pushed underneath another one um, that's that's leading to the breakup of that rock under heat and pressure. CO2 is being released, um, which is gradually finding its way back into the atmosphere um, through volcanic um, emissions. Um, so, you know, pick a volcano. You know, all of them are going to be releasing um, some levels of CO2. If you take... Um, volcanic activity in places like Hawaii um, is one of the, the, the Earth's volcanic hotspots. This is actually very persistent. You've got a very, very, you know, constant stream of uh, what they call degassing, this sort of release of gas emissions from volcanoes. Other ones, um, it's going to happen more where you have um, eruptions. So if you think of somewhere like Mount St. Helens in uh, the USA, then you know it's it's it will be releasing um, carbon dioxide through the year, but it's going to be more on when there there is you know significant volcanic activity there. Okay, so we've talked about what's called the the geological carbon cycle. This is also known as the slow carbon cycle. The other side of it is the biological, and this is often referred to also as the fast carbon cycle. Now, as we've said already in the oceans, the two things are connected. So the geological and the biological have got this overlap. You know, so in the oceans, you've got these photosynthesizing organisms called phytoplankton. They eventually, over time, turn into geological carbon stored away for long periods of time. But generally speaking, the biological carbon cycle is pretty rapid. So we, we're, we're talking of, you know, um, plant and animal life and how that is part of that cycle. Now, clearly, plants um, operate photosynthesis. You know, they're taking in um, sunlight, they're taking in carbon dioxide and water as part of their growth process. Um, uh, you know, but how long does a plant live for? How long does a tree live for? We might be talking about a hundred years, a couple of hundred years, maybe a few hundred years, but eventually 
that tree is going to die. It's going to fall, fall down. It's going to release that carbon back into the atmosphere. So the decomposition process is going to release that carbon uh, into the atmosphere after maybe, you know, a few hundred years that's going to happen. Some of it will be released into the soil. So the soil is also a carbon store. Um, a tree is a carbon store. Forest is a carbon store. Um, with the, the, the soil, you know, soil's got several, several components to it. It's got the organic component um, formed of, you know, dead leaves and dead plant matter and so on. But it's also got some, some rock, you know, weathered, broken down rock uh, in there as well, as well as air and water. But gradually o over time, some of that is going to turn into, um, into rock. Soil as well, you want it to remain a carbon store. You know, every time um, a farmer takes out a, a plough, starts ploughing up a field, some CO2 is going to be released back up into the the atmosphere as well. And um, the other thing that's quite interesting regarding the the fast carbon carbon cycle, and you can see this on some some um, carbon dioxide graphs. If you look on the internet, um, just to have a look at you know carbon parts per million in the atmosphere or anything like that, um, what you see is there's a fluctuation um, across the year. You know it goes up and down depending on the time of the year. Um, the main reason for this is because you know think of of the the um, configuration of the of the land masses and the oceans on the planet. You've got far more land mass in the the northern hemisphere. Now, when you've got um, plants growing in the northern hemisphere, so in other words, in the spring and summer of the northern hemisphere, um, that's actually that's taking out quite a significant amount of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. In the winter, it's the opposite because lots of those plants, you know, deciduous trees particularly, um, they're not really functioning. They, they go dormant in the, the winter. So it's actually when, when the, the growth period is happening, carbon dioxide concentrations in the atmosphere drop. So it's a bit like the earth, you know, breathing in, breathe, breathing out. So it does make a big difference um, how, that, how that works. So generally speaking, you know, the carbon cycle is, is a balanced or it should be a balanced cycle. So thinking about our different carbon stores, our transfers of carbon from one store to another. Now, you know, scientists call that the flux of carbon. Um, it more or less balances. Um, so if you take the terrestrial ecosystem carbon store, about 550 petagrams of carbon, um, locked away in that, in like the, the world's forests and so on. Um, well, photosynthesis more or less balances out with um, with respiration. So this is the release of carbon from plants and animals back into the atmosphere um, through their growth process. It more or less balances. In fact, it's slightly um, higher with the photosynthesis, meaning that you know you would have that carbon stored. Um, what's changing things, though, is human activity. So um, what we could call the, the anthropogenic um, impacts on the, the carbon cycle. Now, the big one is clearly burning fossil fuels and other industrial processes such as that. So we're putting this 
carbon that's been locked away in the geological layer, the slow carbon cycle, we're putting it back into the fast carbon cycle, we're putting it back into the atmosphere. That's clearly not great. That's one of the things that's, that's, um, that's, that's unbalancing the carbon cycle. The other side of it is land use change. Now, this is largely driven by deforestation. Land use change is um, adding extra CO2 to the atmosphere um, of about 1.1 petagram of carbon per year. Um, the oceans, again, ocean to atmosphere, atmosphere to ocean, more or less in balance. The overall figure is that the oceans are absorbing more carbon dioxide than they're releasing. So, you know, thank goodness we've got oceans that, you know, um, account for about 70% of the planet's surface because the oceans are absorbing excess CO2 that we're pumping into the atmosphere. The oceans are taking up some of the slack of that. The drawback, as we said earlier, is that too much CO2 going into the oceans um, can, can cause ocean acidity um, to be a problem. All right, well, I'm going to sort of finish off, wrap things up at, at that point. So we've had, had a bit of a, you know, a brief introduction there to the carbon cycle. I'm going to finish up with one idea, and I have covered this in a previous podcast episode. This is the Anthropocene, um, or the Anthropocene, however, you know, you, you might want to um, describe it. Now, this is, this is an idea that has been floated in geology, um, the idea behind it is that humans have become the largest single influence on the planet and that the Anthropocene is a name that some geologists are giving to, to this time period that we're currently living in, really, I guess, since, since around, I don't know, the, maybe the Industrial Revolution, since around 1800. Um, um, meaning that, you know, the anthropogenic influences on the carbon cycle become so important we are we are we're, we're changing the the earth's geology um and this includes the disruption of the natural cycles of the planet such as the carbon cycle um so you know this is this is it still really remains to be seen doesn't it because we'd need to be we need to be a time traveler you know going millions and millions of years into the future and then looking back and thinking, well, can we recognise in the geological layer that the carbon cycle was so um, unbalanced when the humans were on the planet that it's completely, you know, it's, it's completely changed how that um, carbon cycle has worked and, and the, the geology was, was totally changed because humans were there. So as geographers, you know, we need to be um, at the forefront of this, we need to know what's going on. Um, I'm going to just leave you with a, um, a figure here. This is from the Inter, um, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC. Their estimate is that between 1750 and 2011, the concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere increased by 40%, and most of this coming from the burning of fossil fuels. Um, with deforestation adding adding a lot to that as well. So, you know, the carbon cycle, it's, it's undergoing some really massive changes. A lot of people are very, very concerned. We should all be concerned, shouldn't we, about climate change. So, um, all right, well, we're going to finish there. 
And at that point, it's probably time for me to go outside and plant a tree thinking about the carbon cycle. All right. And um, thanks a lot, everyone. See you again very soon. Bye bye.